All right, welcome to Scottish Clans. I'm Clint, and today we have quite the show for you. We've got Rocky and Eric from USA Kilts, and we're getting ready to have a good discussion today that I think you're going to enjoy, and we're going to bring in some of their expertise. We're just going to have a conversation about and get some unique perspectives, and hopefully the the combination is is something that you'll you'll uh, find both informative and entertaining. So let's let's go let's do it early at least as entertaining as you know a, a, a traffic accent i prefer to use the term magical magical <laughs> let the magic begin <laughs> cool so dive in hey. all right so thank you gentlemen for for uh, letting me talk to you today and interview and get some of your unique perspectives and your, your background, where you come from. I can't wait to jump into it. And I think the, uh, the value here is, you know, I, I come from a certain angle on Scottish culture. It's a very specific, very niche angle. And you all in the same world though, have are coming from a different angle and have some unique perspectives and, and, and I have listened and watched a lot of your podcasts and I know that you have, you're, you're well-researched, you know your subject and, and each of you, Rocky and Eric, bring something different to the table that's, that's unique and, and, uh, and contributes a lot to your, to the content for your YouTube channel. And so I can't wait to get into this discussion and hear some of your insights and, and, uh, and things that, things that you guys want to talk about that my listeners will have not heard yet. So thank you for doing this. Not a problem. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. I, I like to think of us as like the Maliazzi brothers of the kilt world, you know, click and click and clack the Tappet brothers. Awesome. Or Laurel and Hardy or, you know, Abbott and Costello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Run and snippy. I feel like back to the 90s. Right. Maybe not so much Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> No. Well, depends on how late in the show it's gotten. You know, there have been there are times. Scotch. Yes. Yeah. How much scotch depends on what Rocky's gotten that in that that container there in his hand. <laughs> All right. So uh, to start off with, let's just get some of your background here. Um, I, I want to start with Rocky first. Your your last name is very German. Um, and so I'm interested, how did you get into kilts? Is it through a different line of your family that you do have Scottish blood or is it just completely attraction to the culture with no family connection? How did you get into this and, and get to where you're at now? Sure. Um, in my uh, mid-20s, I had my mid-20s crisis, as some guys do, um, and I was uh, kind of hard on myself, had a journal, and I was, you know, kind of you know, ended one journal entry with uh, – you know, I've, I, am I a man of my word? Do I care what other people think of me? I've always wanted to wear a kilt and never had the guts. And I just put down my pen and I was like, that's it. I have to go out and buy a kilt. I need to wear a kilt, period. Um, I have some Irish heritage in my background, some English heritage in my background, not really Scottish necessarily, but it's something about the kilt, something about bagpipes, something about Celtic culture, Gaelic culture, just speaks to my soul, so to speak. Um, and it's something I just had to do. I really wanted to get into it. I really wanted to just experience it and jump in. Um, I'd always gone to Celtic festivals. I loved Irish bands, Irish punk bands like Dropkick and the Real Mackenzies and stuff like that. Um, 
and I just I had to do it. Uh, I don't know how else to put it. I just it was something I had to do. So I had a, a couple of thoughts while you're telling us that. Um, one is, so I think that's important, especially for a lot of my listeners and and your your followers on YouTube, that you don't need a direct strong link ancestry wise to, to this. You, you can come in from every, every, any angle and we have enough freedom in this country where if you like it, go for it. You don't need to show a pedigree chart and saying, Hey, see right here, my fifth great grandmother, you, you can just, if you like it, do it. So that's cool. And the other thing is, um, do you know what part of Ireland your family came from? Cause if it was Northern Ireland, there's a halfway decent chance it might be Scottish. Yeah, Northern Ireland, no. Yeah, okay. Very good point. Very good point. Okay. All right. Great. And Eric, I think we'd like to hear the same same from your background. Um, the, the exact same story. I can just come to a rocky story. Side. I just <laughs> see how well you memorize things. <laughs> see, when I was in my twenties, I had uh, you know I had this moment where I needed to write something down about kilts, and I can't remember why. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, I got into kilts. Uh, differently somewhat. I mean, I, I basically got into kilts because uh, I ran into uh, contemporary kilts first, uh, utility kilts. I was into um, getting into very much a modern primitive kind of a lifestyle back in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and I was looking for ways to get more of an earthy, you know, kind of a outdoorsy, you know, rugged and practical vibe into my life. And I found utility kilts first. And it wasn't until later like maybe three or four years later that uh, my sister had mentioned, yeah, well, you know, you know, theoretically we got Stuart's on mom's side and Campbell's on dad's side. And I'm like, Oh, and so all of a sudden what had been just kind of a modern experiment for me in, you know, doing something that was, you know, practical and also earthy became historical and genealogical. So it's kind of melded over the years. I'm definitely more into the traditional stuff now than I am into the modern stuff, but uh, I've learned to love kilts for, a lot of different reasons as a result. So I kind of fell into working at the company with Rocky because uh, I was doing the stay-at-home dad thing for a while and I needed a couple extra bucks. <laughs> and I walked into the shop to grab a kilt in and uh, I joked, uh, oh, I don't suppose you guys would be hiring, ha, ha, ha. And uh, I think it was actually Kelly, it was your wife, Rocky, who said, actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've been here for the past eight years now. So. so what role did you come into the, the company doing? Is it the same thing you're doing now or do you start off doing something sales. else? Although I, I have a, my degree is in English and, and uh, uh, public relations writing specifically and also anthropology. But I came in basically uh, loading boxes and unpacking kilts and stuff like that. Oh, great. Yes. So hey, we all... We all started at that point, and it's you know, it's where one of the things we do is like everyone does everything, or at least just start off doing everything, and no one's above doing any one job. Yep. In this small in the shop. Yep. Classic small company. Yep. Outstanding. Great. So, you know that that might produce uh, that what you mentioned there, Eric, produce an an easy lead into some of the things that a lot of people are thinking about when they're first thinking of buying a kilt, um, mm -hmm. whether they have the background or not, they, uh, and you did have the background. I'm just curious, which, uh, which tartan did you go with? Did you go the Campbell or the Stewart's? <laughs> Stewart, definitely Stewart. Um, I don't have any problem with having Campbell's in, in the background, but, uh, I've, it was just, uh, 
we tell people that you should go with the the uh, patrilineal side where possible. I mean, that is the most traditional uh, and conventional way to go. Um, but I just had more of a sense of the heritage on my mother's side, actually, because my father's side, the, the Campbell um, connection is a little looser. It comes through my grandmother. And um, mostly, you know, you can guess by the last name of Munson, uh, most of my father's side is like Norwegian. So the Scottish English line is a lot stronger on my mother. So I went with the Stuart. Awesome. You know, that, that is interesting. The, the Scandinavian Scottish connection, you go out to the, especially mm -hmm. to the, the Northern Isles, Shetland, Orkney oh, out there, but yep. quite yep. a bit in the, um, in the Hebrides and, mm -hmm. and in some other spots in Scotland too, you, you do see a, a fusion and I think it's ironic, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I won't, I won't spend too much time with it, but the area of Scotland that people are going to today to, to pull Gaelic into other areas of Scotland is the most Scandinavian-influenced Gaelic yep. that ever was in yep. Scotland. Absolutely. And that's where they're going to, to save the language is out to those, those areas. So that's, that's interesting. So it's cool, though. That's, and it's very authentic to the Scottish experience. So you chose to go with the Stuart mm -hmm. and, and you, you explain a little bit about how that, that decision happened. And you say you also started with the utility kilt side of things, but you said you've, you've kind of yeah. migrated toward the more traditional stuff for those, for those people who are coming into this and they don't, they're not aware of their, they, that there's anything other than a kilt is a kilt is a kilt. Can you maybe give a a brief rundown of what what's out there today, and maybe maybe we can talk a little bit about where kilts come from, um, how and that would lead right into where tartans and how do we get tartans and then period and then get into specific clan tartans and and do you want, uh, do you want to kick off? Rocky? Sure. The, um, uh, the kilt evolved over time. It started as just a big piece of cloth that you would lay on the ground, hand pleat, you know, put a belt underneath it, wrap it around you, whippity doo da, strap it over the shoulder, done. It was kind of a, an all-purpose garment. It was a sleeping bag. It was a cloak. It was a, you know, just a, the bottom, you leave it folded down for the bottom half. So it's just, you know, no shirt kind of thing. Um, eventually, the evolution, and that was the feel of more. Uh, eventually, the uh, it was kind of uh, uh, cut in half, if you will, um, and became what's known as the feel of big or the little kilt. Um, then it kind of became tailored over time, and it kind of evolved to what we have today. Um, the what we are whether we're currently on the market. What a, like what Eric got into the utility kilt thing started really in the late 1990s with a company called Utilikil and on a, on a weird uh, parallel path, uh, a company in the UK called 21st Century Kilts, where they were making traditional kilts out of solid fabrics or, you know, snakeskin, like weird, weird things. Um, but it was basically a fashion way to express heritage or to get into a kilt or that kind of thing. Um, and that kind of struck out on its own and has evolved in its own way. It's not directly tied to heritage, but it's inspired by heritage. Um, other things in the market today are it's kilts are generally very expensive. So 
with the what has happened with the market, especially in the UK and the tourist trade, is a lot of less expensive kilts all the way up to very expensive kilts. So it's it's a neat evolution where it's become not just a fashion thing, not just a heritage thing, but it's a mix of all of it. And there's obviously the, the heritage angle is still there, will always be there, will always be driven by heritage. But there's kind of offshoots where people take a little bit of it into a fashion angle like uh, McQueen or like Vivian Westwood or whatever, um, or, or just want to just kind of put a fashion twist on it or strip it off tartan and just do a, a utility kilt or a solid color with pockets and some weird stuff. It's, the, it's an evolution and a tangential one at that. Awesome. Thanks, Rocky. Eric, you got anything you want to throw into that? Yeah, I'd say um, it. What, what my mind goes to the community that's out there, and we have uh, uh, in in places like our, our Facebook group, Kilts and Culture. We have uh, people who come from both sides of the spe of that spectrum that Rocky was describing, and we have a lot of crossover in the middle. Um, and I personally kind of represent that. Like, I will wear a utility kilt if I'm hiking or if I'm doing yard work and stuff. But if I want to be in town, so to speak. Um, I will go for the traditional stuff. There's, uh, it's just like you don't have one pair of pants. You don't have just, you know, slacks to go to the office and wear those to chop wood. You don't have jeans to chop wood and then also wear those for a business meeting. You know, you, you kind of have a, a mixture of a wardrobe and a lot of us are like that. The extreme angles are uh, the guys who are hardcore utility burning man kind of guys who's just like, yeah, this is what I wear. I've worn this for the past 20 years and they got one kilt and 20 t-shirts. Then you have traditionalists who will have one kilt and the rest of a wardrobe, but they only have one kilt because the Scottish tradition is more built around you have your kilt. Uh, guys in Scotland will typically get a kilt or be gifted with a kilt, for instance, for their wedding. And they only ever own one for their their lifetime. So there's 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 between those two extremes, there's those of us who have become lifestylers who mix it up and really just enjoy all aspects of it. I would say the majority of the people we deal with are traditional lifestylers, people who have their family tartan and then get a couple more along the way. The accessories for kilts are like collecting peanuts or eating peanuts, I should say. And it's just a lot of fun. So there's more personal expression, I think, in the traditional side than there is in the modern utility side, for sure. Interesting. So that that makes me wonder how how do you do you all wear a kilt every day yeah pretty much yeah awesome it's good no go go ahead rocky yeah it's there there are days that i say pretty much because there are there are days if i'm going to be um uh, different horses for different courses like there there's a uh, if i'm outside shoveling snow in the winter and i have you know two hours of work outside in the winter to do I'm going to put on a pair of snow pants. I'm not that, you know, I don't need to wear a kilt. It is not my only identity. It's, you know, form follows function kind of thing. But at the same time, whether I'm, you know, going to get gas or going to the grocery store or whether I'm going to, you know, shopping or whether I'm going to work, I have a kilt on. Yes. Gotcha. That's cool. So for people who you, you, you all explained, I think really well, the, the spectrum of kilts that are, that are out there. So what, What's the difference between, uh, so if I'm, if I'm looking at doing this and my budget's maybe on the lower end, but 
if I really saved up, I could buy one of those higher end, end kilts. Why, what's the difference? What, what am I getting with a hundred dollar kilt? And I'm, I'm not so much talking about the utility kilts, just, just a regular kilt. What's the difference right. between the lower end one and the higher end ones? Um, simply put material and labor. So the, the lower end kilts tend to be synthetic fabrics. Um, if it's a, a kilt that's coming out of Pakistan, which a lot of the lower end of the market is, then it's going to be acrylic type fabric. Um, we have a kilt that starts in that similar kind of price point, 110, 120, that we use a polyviscose fabric in our upper end or the majority of most companies upper ends, you end up with wool fabric woven in Scotland, woven in the UK. Um, that is the traditional fabric to use for kilts. And it's the price of the fabric is just that much more. Then you also have the labor component. So how much time does it take to make a, you know, if, does it take one hour to make a lower end kilt or does it take 20 hours to make a higher end kilt? Then you got to factor in, you know, what someone's time is worth and that kind of thing. So just for my own personal curiosity, so what, what are we doing in the process of making a lower end kilt? Why does it take so much longer to make a higher end kilt? Um, <clears throat> there's more internal construction to it. There's, you know, you're doing straps and buckles on it. Um, you're doing, there's more pleats in it. There's more, you have to put a lining in it. There's different components that are involved in the process. Um, on a, uh, on a traditional kilt, you don't see any of the stitching. So if it's hand sewn, it's sewn by hand, which is much, much longer than machine sewn. If you're looking at one of our, uh, upper end kilts, we actually sew it inside out so you don't see any of the stitching. We use a machine, but the, the end result is the same as a hand sewn kilt. So it's just a lot more labor intensive, therefore costs more money. I'll be, I'll be a little less polite than Rocky because he's been very polite and I'll say the, uh, the difference really is quality. Um, I've, they're, they're, it is easy, it is easy to buy a quote unquote kilt um, on eBay and places like that and get something which is essentially made by people working in, I would say, very poor conditions in in places overseas, um, and you're getting sub subpar material, it's not going to last. Um, and it's basically made in a very much a chop shop kind of a, you know, assembly line fashion with not any attention to detail. Um, the higher up you go, it, kilts are one of those places where you really do get what you pay for. Um, now, you do have to be careful, you know, verify who you're buying from. Um, so you don't get ripped off. Sometimes tourists will get ripped off a little bit um, because they'll pay too much for something which is not that level because, you know, they don't know any better. They're caught up in the moment. But generally speaking, um, you will get what you pay for. Um, we will sometimes say that if you're getting started and all you can afford is the $50 kilt off of eBay, which is obviously made by some little kid in Pakistan or something. OK, um, that's a starting point, but don't expect it to last more than a few wearings. Don't expect it to look good when you get it. Don't expect it to be made to your personal measurements. Um, but we all got to start somewhere and there's no wrong way to get into this if you're if you got a passion for it. Um, but it's worth your time to try and ramp up as you go. Um, Rocky, very if I may steal your thunder a little bit, Rocky, he'll, he'll often say that if you're getting into this for the first time, the best thing you can do is save up as much money as possible to get the kilt and worry about all the other stuff later basically get the absolute best kilt you can afford because that's going to be the one that lasts. Um, we're in a world unlike a lot of other garments where 
a kilt can literally last you your entire lifetime. There are cases, cases where guys will pass a kilt down to their child because they are that strongly built, because tartan wool is so durable. If you take care of it, it will last. Um, the stuff you're buying for cheap, no. But again, you yeah. gotta start somewhere. Yeah, and as long as, you're, as long as your expectations match your budget, you won't be disappointed. It, you know, right. If you're buying a $50 kilt, $100 kilt, you have to expect a certain level of quality, which is gonna be different than a $500 custom made to your measurements kilt. That that's I think that's between the two of you. I think you've pr um, provided a very good answer to somebody who's just looking to get into this and <clears throat> wants to understand what they're doing. You, I think you've given them plenty to make an informed decision about what they're buying. So, so that's yeah. good. Now, I got, um, I got a little passionate there. I'm afraid. <laughs> I got, no, I no, that's, that's that's great, and and I and I think it's very helpful too. So, so I, I might just take this opportunity to let everybody know that right now I am wearing a kilt that I received from USA Kilts here. And, dun, and dun, dun. So, uh, so what's that? I said, dun, dun, dun. And I, uh, I, so I went for the, the mid grade. I, I didn't go with the 100, but I didn't go with the, uh, like the billion dollar one. I went with the, I went with the five yard wool kilt. And I've had a really good experience. First of all, so it's my first kilt. And oh, I, was, I was actually surprised cool. at how much I like wearing it. I don't care if there's a soul around to see me wear it or if I'm in a crowded marketplace. I like the way it feels. I don't know why. I, I don't know why this isn't more common. <laughs> so yeah. where's the first place you wore it? Where's the first place out in public and wore the kilt? I actually went on a date with my wife was the first time I, I wore it in public, you know, and Perfect. she, my wife, as you can see, she came in a, a minute or two ago. Um, she does not come from a Scottish background. She has no vested interest in this. Um, and, but she's, but she's pretty cool about it though. And we went out and she was just like, yep, that's my husband. <laughs> so we went out and got, got a little bite to eat and we were just, it wasn't anything grand, but it was just that's the first time that we went out in public with it. And then just recently, I uh, I play a little. One of my hobbies is I'm into bluegrass music, and I went to a little jam session. I, I play the guitar and sing, and I went to a jam session in my kilt because you know just a little head nod to the origin of some of those tunes. <laughs> yes, yes. So did you cool. get any? What was the reaction? Did you get? Positive comments, negative comments. Were you scared? Was your wife nervous? Were there other women hitting on you, and your wife had to step in? You know. <laughs> well, I did. I didn't have any negative, and I did. We went actually went to uh, Walmart to grab a few things after we went to eat, and um, I did have a positive. Hey, nice kilt from another lady. Now it wasn't in any kind of a inappropriate manner, but but uh, but I only had positive, and so for the. That's, I'm glad you asked that for people who are just starting to get into this. You know, I don't know. We don't have thought bubbles above us when we go in so we can see what everybody's thinking, but nobody responded. No snickers, no nothing stupid. It was only positive. And when I went to that jam session, it was the same thing. People were just interested. They were asking questions about it. Hey, cool kilt, man. That kind of thing. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. 
it was good. So no, talking about getting into buying a kilt and and Eric, you talked about. Well, Eric, you talked about what tartan you went with and why. I'm, but you went straight to family connections and different, like how strong the family connection was and all that. Rocky, yep. how do you? Your first one. Now I know you just kind of wear whatever you want. But how, the first one, how did you pick it? Um, the first one was just a a fashion tartan. It was a cheap one. Um, I both of us, Eric and I, both came in from the the cheaper angle. Um, yeah. It, it and just to get your feet wet. Uh, it was also the matter of, you know, it's it, because I didn't come to it specifically from the heritage angle. It was more of a, and I, I was a bit nervous about it. Like, am I going to like this? Am I really going to like care? Um, or am I really going to wear it out? How much am I going to wear it? How much money do I want to spend? <clears throat> when I look back at it, it's one of those things where I can't believe I was nervous. It's It's one of those, you know, I won't say life events. I'm not going to make it some big grand thing. Well, for me, it was because I started the company off of it. But but it's one of those things where you look back at it and you're like, what the hell was I so worried about? Like, did I, I don't, I don't care what other people think of me to, to like this much of a degree, you know, the people I love, obviously, but what, what was I so nervous about? Why would I, why would I, why would I let someone else's opinion of what I'm doing alter what I want to do? Um, so I started at it from that angle and more from a, you know, from a few different, um, uh, like universal tartans and that kind of thing. And then I eventually just got more and more into the heritage of it and got obsessed with learning more about it, with figuring out how to make it with, you know, constructing my own and just my, my brain went into overdrive on it and I'm happy it did. Cause I ended up, you know, start starting a company with it. That's great. Um, I uh, I kind of like you talked about the farther you got into this thing, you now you're like, what was what was the big deal? For me, some of that went away. Some of the big deal went away as soon as I put it on and found out how much I like wearing it. Whatever inhibitions I'd had before that were significantly reduced, just because I I think wow, I really like the way this feels. I like the way it moves and. And just also another little plug for you guys is that um, you talk about the different the difference in quality in the different scale of kilts, and so I'm here um, like like I said mid range I think you call it the five yard wool kilt a mid range kilt um, it feels really really well made and when we talk about how well it fits and Eric you mentioned is it going to be tailored to your measurements or not and I, I think Rocky you touched on that too so I got a phone call. I, one of my measurements I'd sent into you guys, your, one of your, one of your guys there was like, ah, that, that seems more like a tall guy. And he said, he's only five, nine. And he, I actually got a phone call to straighten that out. And I, he walked me through it. I like with him on the phone, I did the whole measuring thing again. And we, we came up with the, it was the length of it. I think it was instead of a 24, we went with 23. Okay. Uh, for the length. And he's like, yeah, 24 is like a six foot guy. And mm -hmm. I would have just had no idea that there's that much difference between, because a six foot guy looks way taller than me and 23 and 24 is just an inch difference. And so I would have never caught that. I had no idea. Yeah. So makes yeah, a difference. One, of the, one of the things we try to do, whether it's, <clears throat> whether it's in, in, in service at the shop with our, with our YouTube channel, with all the stuff we do is all of this, 
it, wearing a kilt, all the measuring, all the, the nuance to it, all the little tiny things, all the not rules, but the conventions that go along with all this can be very, very daunting. When I first got into wearing kilts, it was it was one of those things where I made a lot of mistakes. And again, because, but because I was obsessed with it, because I read as much as I could, because I looked at all the videos I could, because I was involved in different communities that had, you know, kilt wearers there, Scottish people there, whatever. I learned all about it. And it's one thing that really stuck with me and still sticks with me is trying to preserve the heritage, trying to shorten the, the, the learning curve of Americans, Canadians, Australians, like expats, you know, who, or, you know, people who aren't from Scotland. They didn't grow up with this. They don't, didn't know everything. It wasn't just handed to them as part of their experience. They have to go out and physically learn it. And there weren't a lot of resources out there for that, whether it's measuring right. or for, for whatever. And there are a lot of people make simple mistakes that can easily be overcut, like whether it's measuring instructions and that kind of thing, us just taking an extra second to, you know, verify a particular measurement or us sharing our knowledge through all of our videos, trying to help people get over the mental hurdle on wearing a kilt for the first time. You know, what are the, what are the experiences you're going to have and just coming at it and kind of overwhelming people with information that I wanted there to be. I wanted to see this information when I first started and it wasn't there. So we're trying to just kind of package it and hand it off to people. I, I yeah. think that's, you're doing a great job of that on your YouTube channel. Like there's, there's so much, you've done a good job and I don't know whether you've, you figured out what people want to know through viewer feedback or whether you're just going through your personal experience oh, yeah. or intuition or what, but, uh, or maybe you've got some cool abilities that most people don't have, but uh, <laughs> you've done a good job of anticipating questions that that people are going to have about kilts because i mean to be just speaking my, my own personal experience on your youtube channel um i'll be watching one of yours okay let's i got one in here you've got others you've done on the marketing end you've titled your videos well but but it's not just that you're like it's not just clickbaity it's it's here's what people want to know about wearing a kilt getting into having a kilt how do you put stuff together for different occasions what's the most appropriate What's the best kill? I mean, like all these things, um, I think that people who are getting into this and maybe even people who have been into it for a little while would do themselves justice by by tuning into your YouTube channel and, and checking some of that stuff out. And just speaking oh, from personal gosh. experience. And and I, I want everybody to know, it, it, like long before, long before we were um, plan on doing this and getting together and talking and, or anything like that, that, that happened. So it wasn't because I'm not, I'm not telling, I'm not putting a plug for these guys because we made an agreement before we started this recording. That's the way I moved through their YouTube channel. So yeah, um, it's, it's important. Eric is, uh, Eric's the one that, uh, titles the videos. We have a, we have a show that we do first Friday of every month or sometimes second Friday, depending on the Corona's. Um, but we basically, we take uh, viewer questions and we just sit down in the studio. Eric is currently in the studio. We sit down for two answer for two hours and we just answer whatever questions people got. So it's, we want to be the source. We want to have you guys um, use our knowledge and ask us whatever questions you want to ask us. 
you know, what color yep. kilos, what kind of sporn, whatever. We are open books. We are transparent. And we want to be uh, mentors to people. At the same time, we are actively, you know, students of the culture. We're still trying to learn. Right. We're still trying to get better ourselves. But we want to bring people along for the ride. We're just further down the road. Yeah, I, gonna, I think. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Eric. I was going to say we we the policy has always been and remains that the channel and the shows that we do are not about us and are not about selling anything. It's a basically about educating people to the best of our knowledge and helping the culture to be preserved and to move forward as a result. The community is huge. It has not necessarily gotten that connected until recent years, thanks to the internet and stuff. Um, but and that's why everybody has questions, you know, and there's a lot of hearsay. There's a lot of myth out there. There's a lot of, well, my grandfather told me, so this must be the case. So we are often researching questions we get um, and verifying different sources. If we get a question ahead of time, you know, um, if it's off the cuff, then we either know it or we don't. And we'll tell you we don't know it. But uh, we try to be sincere students at all times because our hope is that other people are going to be sincere students. And that we're all going to basically verify the truth of what's happened in Scottish and Gaelic history in general and move the culture forward in an intelligent and respectful manner at the same time. It's, 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 it comes down to the culture. It really does. I mean, the, the kilt as it, as it stands is a wonderful garment and anybody can get into it and enjoy it. Um, but as a fashion garment, it's fine. You know, the people will find ways to wear kilts all over the world for years, but will Gaelic culture be also preserved and passed on? That's a, a thornier issue. So we want to make sure that we are giving the best information we can and learn as we go so that everybody is contributing to the journey. Again, I'm getting passionate again, but that's, uh, that's kind of how I feel about it. So. And the same, and in the same vein, <clears throat> we are, while we're sincere, sincere students of the culture, while we are trying to preserve things and kind of, you know, package it and move it forward. Um, we are we are honest about who we are and we are very you know down to earth type people we're not you know stuffy old dude we're old dudes now <laughs> but we're not stuffy old dudes we're still you know we're 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 trying to package it in a way now i sound marketing but we're trying to package it in a way that you know people enjoy watching us we're not just two stuffy old right. dudes telling you how it should be done this is the way you do it there's no, you know, there, there, this is the box. Stay in your box. Don't go outside. We're trying mm -hmm. to, you know, be relatable and understanding and just, you know, have a fun, fun show, fun community, you know, fun Facebook group, fun everything. Yeah. So, so like, go ahead, Eric. I want to throw it back at you, Clint, a little bit. I mean, when did you get into studying the clan history? Because you're in, from my perspective, you're kind of doing the same thing we're doing. Yeah. You, know, you have a, you have a, a, a more of a focus than we do, I think. But what led you to get into doing the uh, the podcast? I, I don't know if I'm more focused than you. Maybe I'm just coming at it from a different angle. Um, you guys have gone pretty deep into the the kilt thing, and I've and I've watched some of your. Uh, in addition to the, the the kilt itself thing, I've listened to some of your YouTube videos that are or watched them that talk about the history aspect of it. And you seem to that you've you've taken some um, effort to dive into it a little bit, but so when I was, when I was probably 12 or 13, 
I started to find my parents' book of remembrance. My mom and my dad had books of remembrance that had a lot of family history stuff in them. And they had some of their family history, the pedigree charts, the genealogy, and some of them went back to the 14 or 1300s. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. I knew enough to know that that was knight in shining armor days. And that kind of lit up my young imagination. And then very shortly after that, so now I'm starting to look more into the, you know, what else my parents got kicking around here? I found a book of my mom's that was titled In Honorable Remembrance of William McFarland and Margaret McCormick. And uh -huh. they were two people who had emigrated from Scotland to Utah, to Weber County, and okay. were some of the early settlers out there that helped get things established to whatever degree of civilization they had of the day. And so in the beginning of the book, it gave some context about where are these people coming from? And it gave some McFarland history specifically. And that was just enough to light up my imagination. I, the, the, the kilt that they had the, the coat of arms there and with the, just the, had they actually in the book, they had the, the pipe tune, Hogelumbo had sheen, nice. which is about lifting the cattle and the words in Gaelic in it. And I was like, holy cow, I've stumbled on a whole nother world that I didn't exist. And so I was so excited. So ever since yep. then, I was super excited about it. And, you know, and I, I think, and then the internet came out later on when I was a little bit older. And I think I'd had my fill of what you could find on a Google search, a quick Google search, you know, just the, the clan history summary, a few paragraphs long. I was kind of just, not that that's not useful, but I think I'd read it all. And I was just, I was like, is that all we got on this? And I just not that not very many years ago, I got into the, uh, I got into a master's program and I ended up writing my master's thesis on the Scottish clans. I ended up comparing Highland clans with border clans between 1300, roughly 1300 and 1600 BC or AD in huh. the specific realm of warfare. Cause okay. you know, if you're writing a master's thesis, it's gotta be really focused. And so yeah. that's what it was on. But it forced me and I did it online and it forced me to push past all that and to go to just the, the greatest effort to find what is out there. I ended up reaching out to Scottish um, scholars that are involved in universities back there and people who I'd found had written some stuff. But I had a really hard time finding it. They helped me. They're very kind. Anyway. And then when I finished writing my thesis, I couldn't put it down. And so I ended up, I was looking for podcasts on Scottish clans and I found some general Scottish history stuff, but I ended up creating the podcast that I couldn't find. That's awesome. Nice. That's fantastic. See, that's, that's what I want to hear more of. That, that is, that is a fantastic story. Um, you've had a passion for it since you were a kid. We find some people who have that same passion. Um, not everybody digs as deeply as you did, obviously. Um, but there's people out there with a passion, but it's le it, it's unfocused and, and we're trying to help them find a way to channel it into their lifestyle. Then you have other people who fall into this stuff much later in life. You know, like sometimes um, I got more into a lot of this stuff once I had kids, you know, because mm -hmm. then you start thinking about your past and you think about your future yeah. and you think about your ancestors and all that kind of stuff. You get that whole mortality thing going. Um, 
and we find a lot of people get into kilts later on, like in their in their 30s or so, um, because they're like, you know, I, I want to be more my own person, you know. So that that spark can hit you at any time in life. I think the younger it hits you, the better. And I want to see more of that. So thank you for sharing that with us. I, th- I think it's great. I think the podcast is fantastic. I just, more power to you, man. It's awesome. Yep. Keep it up. Appreciate it. Um, so speaking of the, the something that you all just mentioned a little bit before I gave my, my background there. So you started talking about the culture and you specifically mentioned Gaelic culture or, or in, in Ireland, Gaelic culture or Irish or but the, the, the cultural aspect, something I just wanted to point out um, real quick and then maybe move into something that I'll let, let you all give the give a little bit more um, expounding on is the kilt in its origin is a Highland garment. Uh, my mm-hmm. understanding is that you would have found people in the lowlands wearing something tartan colored or tartan designed, but in the form of a kilt, that was a specific, specifically a Highland and Isles type of, of deal. And if we, if you want to be real, uh, kind of a, I guess a jerk, you'd have to be to look at it this way. You'd be like, well, Lowlanders are excluded from this. But I've seen, we know in the past several centuries, we've seen so much English and lowland Scottish culture push into the highlands at the expense of Gaelic culture that mm-hmm. I think it's awesome that the highland culture is now pushing back the other way. And you're seeing people in regions that their ancestors would have never been caught dead in a kilt embracing it. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm totally for, like, I think it's cool that you have Welsh tartans and, and different states, the United States have their own state tartan and that has expanded to that degree. I, I, I could not be more pleased nor judgmental of a Welshman who's, and my last name's Edwards and we, my family came out of, right out of Wales out here to, to the Rocky mountains, to Utah. And, um, and that's cool. There's kilts. And I, I actually considered getting an Edwards tartan kilt, but um, I just decided to go keep that Scottish connection with the McFarland. So um, the, what I want to want to turn it over to you a little bit about though, is in either one of you is the evolution of the tartan. So now when I'm purchasing my kilt, I've got to select a tartan, which, which one's it going to be? Which clan are you going to go with? Um, <laughs> how did we get to that point? How far back does that go? Can you give us a little, little light on yeah, that? Do you want to go on it? I, I was about, to, I was about to invite you to do that. Um, Wow, how far back do you go? Um, to to brass tacks, um, the earliest examples we have of tartan as a as a artistic expression, as a technology, actually goes back to the Bronze Age. Um, to, there were some mummies that were found in a valley in China, which were wearing what we would now consider tartan, and unlike Great. other, yes, thank you, um, and. Uh, Unlike other examples of cross-threaded designs, these were very striking to the people who found them because they actually looked a lot like 17th and even 18th century Scottish tartan. Wow. It was like, wow. So nothing's new under the sun. Um, as far as tartan as an expression of Gallic culture, we know it's been around uh, at least since the Roman occupation. Uh, the earliest example of something that is tartan-like from the, from the British Isles was the Falkirk 
uh, scrap Falkirk Tartan, which is actually more of a it's more of a houndstooth. Is that correct, Brock? Yeah, I think it's more of a houndstooth kind of a thing. Um, yeah. But it's not not one hundred percent. It was found yeah, in a bottle very, with Roman coins or whatever. Correct. It was jammed it's, on top of the bottle. Exactly. And it's very very simple, but we know that the the, the technology uh, and the art goes that far back. Uh, in terms of tartan as a the art form we think of it today, it definitely blossomed in the we know in like the the 17th and the 18th century. Um, it did not become really more standardized the way we think of it today until uh, Wilson's of Bannockburn in the late 18th century and into the 19th century. Um, part of the reason for that being he and one or two weavers like him at the time were the first ones to start using industrial looms so that they could guarantee that they were producing the exact same design, the exact same consistency, consistency, consistency unlike my language, um, for hundreds upon hundreds of yards. Um, prior to that, tartan was being produced uh, by home weavers and by small weaving shops on hand looms. The, uh, so the product might have less consistency to it. The dyes would have less consistency to it. Um, and this is one of the main reasons why when you get into the myth of clans having had individual tartans forever, you can't verify that. You, can, you can't say that. Um, just by virtue of the fact of the, of the technology alone, that didn't happen. Um, clan tartans are a 19th century invention. Um, the artistry of tartans has been around for a long time. And there's some glorious examples of beautiful tartans, for instance, from Culloden. You know, back in back in the 18th century, you'll have uh, uh, archaeological specimens of really, really bright, wonderful colors. But uh, so the love of the art has always been there, but it was much more idiosyncratic in the olden times. And then with the Victorians in the 19th century, things got more codified. They got more romantic and romanticized at the same time, but they also got more codified to give us the kinds of things we think of now as, you know, this is the Campbell Tartan. This is, you know, the McDowell Tartan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm not even sure if I'm answering your question. I think I'm rambling at this point. But no, you're hitting. You're, you're doing um, great. Started off kind of as de, de facto district tartans. It was a weaver produced X tartans, and therefore, you know, you would go in and you live in that area. You would buy that tartan, and then uh, I saw uh, uh, something recently where uh, through uh, Sir Walter Scott and the uh, uh, all that he did with the royal visit to Scotland, um, mm -hmm. basically. What the the invitation said, if you're going to come to, you know, if you're going to come to the event as a clan chief, you must be in clan attire and Highland, a Highland garb. And they right. all went, oh, uh, we need a Highland, we need our own tartan. And they went out and right. had it done for the event. Um, so it kind of kickstarted it. And then you also had the Sobieski Stewarts and they're effectively con men who designed a whole bunch of different tartans and said, yeah, these are really a thing because we say they are. Um, and it was discovered that they were actually con men, that they weren't really a thing, that they just made them up. But through wanton usage, they ended up becoming the real thing. And a lot of the, the tartans that the Sobieski Stewarts put forth in the Vistorium Scoticum actually were then approved by clan chiefs to say, OK, yep, nope, that's our tartan now. So it's it's a neat, murky, cloudy <laughs> BS history of how the whole thing started. And then, but through, you know, time, and as I th said, through wanton usage, it just became codified and that's what it is now. So I, I always find it amusing. People said, no, you have to wear the clan tartan. That is only the tartan you're allowed to wear. But I'm going to go back historically and do the same thing that my ancestors did, which was 
pick the one I liked. This one's right. pretty. I want that one. That was right. effectively how it started. And then it just evolved. We are at a different spot in the evolution now, but that's how it started. You know, that's funny that we would view it as more authentic and more legit if it had happened 400 years earlier, but happened the exact same way. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I think yep. what you just explained might take a little, you know, people get wrapped around the axle about which tartan are should they be choosing. And I think with the way you, between your two explanations there, I think that people could loosen up a lot on it. Just like, Oh, I, yeah. I think the Chisholm tartan is cool looking the hunting Chisholm or the faded ancient Chisholm or the modern or the dress or whatever, you know, like whatever choose something you like, like you said, Rocky and, and go with it and promote the culture. Cause it's whether it happened in the 1800s or whether it happened in the 1200s, that's where we're at now. It's authentic. It's not old. The thing, I, the thing I'll point out is we are also there. There is every new, every tradition is new at some point. And at some yeah. point the clan tartans, became a thing. I don't want to be so flippant about it to just erase the last couple hundred years of people no. wanting to wear their clan tartan because some people do have that strong of a connection to it. Whether true or original or not, they have that now. And I don't think we should just dismiss that and say, well, the evolution didn't matter because that's what it was to start with. And I don't think that that's what we're doing, by the way. But it's there are different ways to come at it. And we just have to acknowledge that the way and the thing that you want to do and how you want to express it yourself may not be the way that Eric wants to, may not be the way that I want to. But as long as we are being sincere students of the culture, as long as we are wearing it respectfully and we're not dishonoring it and making a mockery of it, making a costume out of it or Halloween costume out of it, it's fine. You're just coming to it from a different angle. Right. Absolutely. And say, yeah. just to go ahead, Eric. Oh, yeah, you go ahead, Glenn. That's okay. Well, just to your point, Rocky, so that's even though understanding the history behind it, I still went with a family tartan for my kilt. And so I, I did take that traditional route rather than just pick one I like the colors of because there's a lot of them out there that I think the colors are cool. But I did choose to go with a, a family connection one. So mm -hmm. uh, I think I think however, whichever one they decide is fine, but they under, understand what you're doing when you do it. And I think that plays into a lot. There's a there's an overlap here between the conversation that we're having about tartans and the conversation that we could have about clans. Because mm -hmm. from that very point in history that you mentioned with the Sobieski Stewarts and a lot of those lists, you know, to be more inclusive and bring more people in, they make all these sept lists, right? Yes. And you're yes. part of this clan and this clan and this clan. And that's a conversation right. we're having on our end quite a lot is somebody was on a jewelry website and found that this last name is a sept of this other clan without any genealogical work behind it. And you know what? If you want to wear that clan's tartan, fine. Just be cognizant that if your last name is Nielsen, you may or may not be tied to the Mackays or the McKay's here in America, or if your last name's Wilson, maybe you're a part of the guns. Maybe you're not. Where did, what part of Scotland does your family come from? Or do they come yep. from? Anyway, just the awareness of it. At the end of the day, if you want to choose gun, go with it. But I yeah, think there's, 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 unfortunately with anything, 
in in today's world, so to speak, and now I'm really going to sound like an old dude. Um, <clears throat> the, the easiest path to the end goal is what most people will take. Um, there's a book we use uh, called Scott's Kith and Kin, which is a good starting point. It's a good reference guide. And some people will come in and say, um, my name is Reed. And I'm, I, well, who, what, what tartan should I get? And we can look it up in the book and we can just say, okay, your family was typically or uh, heavily found in this particular district or, you know, in Edinburgh or whatever. Or we can say, okay, Reed is a sept of Robertson. So you, you could wear the Robertson tartan. But if people don't do their own digging and they get something wrong, it's they have to know their own family history. We can give some guidance, but we are not genealogists. You know, we are, you know, you know, we love this stuff. We are merchants of this stuff at the same time. But you have to dig into your own family heritage and figure out what clan you're from. That being said, don't let it paralyze you. We've right. had people coming in the store and like and or better example, people come up to us at festivals every single year be like oh i've done some more research but i hit a roadblock here i want to get a kilt but i'm too afraid i'm going to get the wrong one or i'm going to do something wrong and what i would say to those people i do say to those people is then if you're that concerned about it and without trying to sound like a sales dude if you're that concerned about it just get a universal tartan or do the best you can with the research if you go back so far and all of a sudden you run into you know a roadblock where the church burned down and all the records were lost or a family member was adopted and you don't know the next step, then don't let that stop you from enjoying the culture, enjoying the kilt, enjoying your heritage. Do it in other ways. Do it by getting a universal tartan or do it by, you know, this is this is as close as I can get to my clan. You obviously want to do some research, but, you know. Yeah, those yeah. lists weren't created out of thin air. They you know, right. there were Nielsen's that were connected to the Mackay's. There were Taylor's that were connected to the Cameron's. There's an element of legitimacy there. The question is, do you tie back into those or how much does it matter to you that you do or not? You know? Yeah. Right. And that how much effort do you want to put forward? If you don't yeah. have a lot of time and you, you know, you, you think this, you're reasonably positive, but you can't prove it hundred percent. Do you want to wait 20 years as a 45, 50, 60, 70 year old guy, do you have time to wait 20 years to go out and finally get the kilt that you've been pining after for years or to, you know, to express your heritage in whatever way, whether it's a kilt, a necktie, whatever. I totally agree. And I think, I think knowing that stuff will take a little pressure, maybe help people kind of relax a little bit and, and be able to go in and make a decision. And, and like you said, do it now instead of a billion years from now, when they could have just been enjoying this because it is enjoyable. And I would definitely recommend somebody doing it sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And I, I would also yeah. say that it's one of my, uh, one of my favorite quotes here in the shop and Eric's going to roll his eyes when I say it. Uh -oh. Perfection is the enemy of the good. You know, whether it's whatever, because I say it all the time, you're going to roll your eyes at me, but whether it's because you're not quite sure in the tartan or you're not, or you're not quite sure, or you're not confident enough to wear the kilt. You're not confident enough in all of the, not rules, but the conventions or what color hose do you wear with this? You know, you just kind of start. Everyone's going to make mistakes in doing this. We try to help shortcut people's learning curve, as I said, but everyone's going to make mistakes. You just got to jump in and go. You didn't know how to drive well the first time you got behind the wheel of a car. 
You didn't know how to kiss a girl the first time you kissed a girl. It's you got to figure it out and you figure it out by doing it and just moving forward and powering through whatever fear, whatever hesitation, whatever you got. Amen. Yep. Amen. So can we, can you talk about, so with your YouTube channel and in your efforts to promote Gallic or Celtic generally, more generally culture, um, can we let, maybe talk about, give us some things that maybe the average person doesn't know. So I, I've had some of these same questions myself, whether as it regards to, um, so we're wearing our kilt on different occasions. Um, first of all, we talked about that there's several, several different types of kilts. If And, and, and I know that you've done an, an episode on this, but just for the sake of the people listening to this, and if, and if they want to do a little deeper dive in it, they can, they can go to your YouTube channel and, and find more information on it. But if you, only, if you only got the money right now for one, but you do have some money. Okay. You, you can buy one. You, you could even maybe get a good one. What's the, the most all around setup or like a basic, basic, I can get this and I can go do a lot of different stuff with it. What, what kind sure. of advice would you give somebody oh. on that? Oh, okay. Sure. Where you, where you generally, where we tell people to start um, is the kilt sporing belt and buckle. That'll be a good, sure. you know, entry level thing you can always as eric said it's like eating peanuts it's like lace potato chips you can't have just one you're gonna you're gonna get into it you're gonna accrue things and it's not cheap i mean it is not cheap getting into this stuff so what we generally tell people is there's certain things you can skimp on or you can spend a little bit less money on there's certain things it's gonna you're gonna get more use out of it so you want to spend a little bit money more money in some areas um but the basic setup to get started is the kilt, the sporn, and the belt and buckle. You can wear a polo shirt with it, just like I have on now. You can wear a pair of, you know, crew socks and sneakers or, you know, Doc Martens or whatever for a casual look. Um, as you want to improve your look, as you want to get a little bit dressier in it, then you move into a pair of kilt hose and, may have, and wear a pair of wingtips and flashes. Um, flashes are the garters to help hold the socks up. Then you get into a vest or a jacket and vest, and you can wear a dress shirt with it and that kind of thing. So you can get into it slowly, or you can jump in with both feet if you have the money to do so. Um, but it's it's all about just experimenting with it and trying to find your style within it. You know, Highland Wear has conventions. They have ways that things are done and have been done for a long time. And it's important to understand those conventions so you know if you're going to break a rule, that you're breaking one. You're, uh, part of our guide or part of our, our mantra here is we're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to tell you, explain to you the conventions and how things are done. And if you want to break with that, you want to break with the tradition, feel free. It's your life. Do what you want to do. But recognize that you're doing something outside the box. You're doing something different. It's we're not here to stop you. We're here to make sure you understand where the lines are and then let you decide where you want to land. You don't have to stay in the box. You don't have to stay in the box, but you have to respect the box. <laughs> respect the box. At least acknowledge his presence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, but it really is that simple. I mean, it's the, the, the kilt. You need the kilt. The the sporin, you need some some place to carry your your stuff. You gotta carry your car keys. 
Um, the belt basically just because it helps kind of complete the outfit. Um, you could technically wear the, the kilt without the belt, but it looks a little odd to the modern eye uh, without something going across your midsection here. Um, it's really that simple. Formally. Yeah. Well, informally, but then formally, you probably have a waistcoat on, so it yes. becomes irrelevant anyway. But uh, yeah, it's it's. Don't turn a turn a, a molehill of getting involved into a mountain, you know, and don't be afraid of doing it wrong, to the point of being paralyzed, like Rocky was saying earlier. Yeah, and that's why yeah. there are there are communities of kilt wearers out there. Um, yep. you know, we have, as I said, we have, a, as Eric alluded, we have a Facebook group called Kilts and Culture and are named after our show. We do our YouTube videos. Um, we, you know, do stuff on the USA Kilts Facebook page. All of this stuff is out there. There's all this information. There's a supportive group. There are supportive groups, plural, yep. to help people learn how to do it, how to get into it, how to express their heritage, um, and in a supportive way. It's you're not getting well in some of them you might be, but most people don't <laughs> ridicule you because not many of us, especially in America, Canada, wherever, not many of us grew up with it. We're trying to express it. We're getting into it. So everyone else is on that same journey. They're just further down the road than you. So let them you know, look back and help bring you up to speed. And then when you get there, you're going to do the same thing for other people. And the peanuts, so the peanuts thing is going to keep going because you get into the kilts, you know, you start getting into the history, you'll wind up getting into whiskey, you'll get into the food, you, you get into the music. I mean, it just it keeps going on and on and on. There's so much there to explore. So it's it's a feast. It really is just constant, constant potential for learning something new. Yes. And and so what you pointed out there is there's no excuse for ignorance. <laughs> there's. There's gobs of nope. information out there between your YouTube channel, between Facebook, uh, people who have, who know what they're talking about have been through the process and are there to to provide that information that people are needing, especially when they're new to this. Yeah, the world um, has never been more connected and more full of information and free information than it is now. So yeah. if if you had a problem finding you know things 25 years ago, like our business. And, and our entire, th like, none of this would be possible 25 years ago. It just wouldn't. Right. Like, I, you know, we couldn't have a business that size, not that we're huge, but the size that we do, you know, based on, you know, our location in Pennsylvania. You couldn't have had a podcast talking to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people across the U.S. on a, you know, biweekly, monthly basis, whatever it is, um, to share this passion. And it's it's awesome how connected we all are and the power of this stuff that we have now at our fingertips and our pockets, wherever, um, to be able to give us this information. It's really enriched our lives, my life, Eric's life, your life, everybody's lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's right there. That's, that was good stuff, man. You're right in the field. Glad we got that recorded. Um <laughs> Kind of, you, you take bits and pieces out of that and like put them in posters around your shop. <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> get those workers motivated. Um, so what um, what aspects of Gallic or Celtic culture have we not covered yet that you think you think would be an important thing to cover in a show like this between my focus on Scottish clans, um, your, your focus on the expression of that in apparel. It's what are we not it, covered? 
I, I would say this. It is a living, breathing thing. The uh, And Scotland, I, we've, I've joked around about this, and there's a great YouTuber called Sean. Um, he has a, a Scottish podcast. I think he's from Edinburgh. Um, but yeah. a lot of his audience is American. And he pointed something out, or I think he pointed it out. Um, one of the things that's really, really neat is that Americans view Scotland through this historical lens. We view Scotland as a moment in time that stops in the 1850s where, or, or 1800s, and nothing goes past Culloden and Bonnie Prince Charlie and the clan system, and that's how it is. And we think that that's how it still is today. They are not that still today. They are an evolved, they have emails, not carrier pigeons. It's okay. They, like, but it's the, we have this romantic view of it because when our families in America came or came to America from Scotland, that's when a lot of them left was during the clearances. And that's the culture that we have perpetuated. Think of it as kind of like cousins. That's where the family tree has a Y where, you know, they came over here and they continued it, whether it's in, you know, the Appalachian mountains, whether it's in, you know, Boston, wherever it is, that was continued over here in a slightly different way and honored in a different way than it was over there. And with the Englishization, uh, uh, with, with English culture and, you know, kind of pushing out Gaelic culture, it became kind of you know, bred out of them, for lack of a better term. It just, it just kind of gets sucked out of the, what Scotland was, and it was kind of perpetuated over here. Now, it is Scotland is something different, and they are definitely rekindling their passion for their own culture, for their own history, and everything is, you know, still moving forward in Scotland and their, you know, potential for independence and that kind of thing. So it is, it, it is they are passionate about Scotland in the same way that we are passionate about Scotland, but completely differently. We are compassionate, or we are passionate about Scotland's history. They are passionate about Scotland now and how it has come forward. But it's not just a moment in time. It's an evolved country. You bet. It's something that a lot of people kind of like overlook and don't even think to think about about when they're looking into their family history and that kind of stuff, or they go over to Scotland and people are just shocked that, you know, everyone's supposed to be wearing kilts and there's supposed to be a castle on every corner. And, you know, it's, they don't, it's not that they don't understand it. They just kind of had this, this, this vision of it since they were a little kid and the reality doesn't match that, but it doesn't have to. It's, it's, it's fun for, and it's good for what it is now. Absolutely. I don't think we're quite as ugly as Rocky makes us out to be. I think there are I think there are plenty of Americans who actually do realize there's more to more to a nation than that than its history. But when you're but getting yeah. into it, when you're when you're first yeah. trying to discover it, that's the lens you see it sure. through. Sure. Yeah. Until your maturity in that subject grows and you've dived dived into it. I'm I'm sure glad they have emails because I wouldn't even got that master's thesis written. So Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there's been some things I think culturally wise that have done a lot to push it forward. You know, you have, you know, if you want to go back a little ways and you had Braveheart for whatever, you know, whatever inaccuracies that we can, we can point out in that it, it made people (laughs) wound up about Scotland. Right. And then, and then more, way more recently, we've had Outlander come out. We've had Outlaw King. 
and and that and big name actors and some big followings and and they some of those especially with outlander are continuing on to with other projects to promote the culture and so i can really see it doesn't seem to be slackening the the interest in our heritage generally and specifically in things that are scottish specifically it's and, and yet and yet Scottish Gaelic is considered an endangered, if not de facto extinct language now. So, so I think you, the media is... Go ahead. Sorry? Go ahead. I was going to say, I think the, the, the media is hugely important. I mean, we often will cite the fact that our company may not even, ex wouldn't have been existed if it hadn't been for Braveheart. Uh, the Braveheart phenomenon back in the 90s was a huge boost to the tartan industry and the kilt industry and a lot of other heritage industries, uh, tourism, you know. Yep. Um, and it really springboarded a lot of stuff, which we now take for granted as having actually, um, along with some problems, you know, but, oh, sure. um, I think it's, it's important for us to, to hold the media accountable. I think it's getting a lot better. Definitely getting the last eight to 10 years have been a lot better for historical accuracy in, in film, for instance. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the big media can support the culture as well as small efforts like ours. Um, just take it with a grain of salt. We're big meeting. Come on. Yeah, we're we're huge. I mean, look at this room. My God. We, uh, <laughs> it's, it's much and the the historic historical accuracy thing, the culture thing. It's they they all push different buttons. Whether it's you know uh, we we you know, allude to on our show occasionally the the Downton Abbey effect or the Peaky Blinders effect, where everything is kind of cyclical. So it's. Yes, you get people who are into it for historical drama. You have people who are into it for a culture angle. You have people who are into it for just the the fun aspect, people who are into it for the costuming. So there's a lot of different reasons why shows like Outlander, uh, movies like The Outlaw King or The Bruce or, you know, uh, Peaky Blinders or whatever are a thing because it pushes different buttons for different people. But you come, you come at it from a different angle and you just like it for what it is for different reasons. You know, I may like a show for a different reason than you, but it's still a neat show in general. And the bar, as Eric said, the bar on historical accuracy is definitely being raised on a regular basis. And that is absolutely a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think audiences are getting smarter. Well, like Rocky was pointing out earlier, there's no excuse for ignorance now. There's no excuse to be stuck back in Braveheart as the culture was presented there. You know, and you look right. at Outlaw King and they they fixed a lot of the historical inaccuracies. You know, look at there wasn't I don't think there was a kilt in the whole thing, was there? I don't no. think so. You you saw the Scottish noblemen, especially these Anglo or these uh these Scotto-Norman lords wearing arms and using arms and armor that was very similar to what was being used across the border. And, you know, up until that divide that happened at that time in history to them, it, I mean, it, there wasn't a divide. They had a bunch of lands here. They had a bunch of lands there. And the, a lot of them were forced to make a choice, but they you wouldn't have seen that drastic difference between the two of them. They got that right. They got a bunch of other things, right? So I think if somebody stuck back on some of the things that Braveheart got wrong, that's on them. Yeah, agreed. And it's yeah. I, I'm 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 happy that Braveheart existed. The net net is positive for the Absolutely. culture, positive for the peaking people's interests. It's definitely positive for kilts, but it's 
the, the, the major negatives are people just take it as fact when it's not. So through podcasts like yours, trying to set records straight on things, trying to do deep dives on specific topics, trying to educate people, it's pushing it forward because if it didn't kind of swing around to the other side of historical accuracy and it got worse from Braveheart forward in a hundred years from now, people would think that, you know, William Wallace actually wore a kilt or like right. all these different things that were wrong in the movie. So I'm, I'm, again, I'm very happy that the bar for historical accuracy has been raised. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, I think what you guys are doing with your YouTube channel, uh, as far as, because it's a mix, it's a, it, what you were doing. And I think that's reflected in our discussion that we've had so far is it's a mix of here's what's going on with the culture right now. Here's and, and presenting the information. Do you want to go to this kind of a function or a more formal thing or whatever? And you're talking about that more current thing, but then you also have quite a bit of content, I think on things coming from an historical perspective, you know, with where you get into Sobieski stewards and how long have people actually been wearing kilts and, you've got, you've got a really strong mix on that. There's no reason people need to, you know, and from everything I've seen, as far as the history of the kilt and the tartan, I don't, I don't really have anything that I could add to what I've seen on your channel. That's um, it's, it's pretty well done. And if people want to go and check that out, they can get a pretty good idea. Yeah, it's, we, we try to be uh, not, I won't say the Scottish mythbusters, but rumor dispellers. <laughs> You know, truth matters, you know, and if people, like you said, if people want to do something different, at least know, you know, that's what we've spent a lot of time trying to do in, on the podcast is, is okay. There's a way that I thought about clans when I was 21 and it's, it's changed quite a bit now, but hopefully more accurate. And that's all I want to do. And now if people want to, do some freestyle or some improv or whatever, but just at least know, let's just try to get some accuracy and truth. Cause I do think it matters. Yeah. Agreed. And I want to be able to, uh, I want to be able to look back 20, 30, 40 years from now at a body of work and say, I did my best to present the facts as we knew them, push things forward, promote the culture. And if I don't know something, you know, speak up and say, I'm not quite positive, whatever, and be honest and transparent in it. And do having a net positive impact on this versus just be a merchant and or, you know, extract, exploit a culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, what else do we need to cover? We, we covered everything we need to do. <laughs> How long do you want to talk? <laughs> look, look, between the three of us, I think we could go all through the night. All the way through the night. We probably could. We probably could. Um, it was two hours. <laughs> I think. I. I. I think it. What well, it points to is we should probably plan on doing this again sometime. I think. I think we could yep. definitely do this again and again, and, and we could do some deeper dives on some stuff. You know. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Today. Today, I think maybe was a good uh, foundation to lay, and or or a good place to springboard into something like you said, more specific, more focused, and just really nerd out because. That's why I started my podcast. I just wanted to nerd out <laughs> on stuff that I was really interested in. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys yeah. were interested in it. And yeah, no matter, awesome. no matter what there is, no matter what topic there is in the world, there are nerds who geek out on it, who obsess about it. I was that with this. 
you're that with the client history thing. Yep. It's it's yeah, it's it's fun to do a deep dive on stuff like this and to really get into it and really figure out what you're talking about and you know become a uh, uh, I won't say expert and I won't call myself an expert, but to you know to get really really into it and you know be able to hold a coherent conversation at least. Yeah, yeah, cool. Right. Well, guys, I sure appreciate the time you took out of like out of your evening. It's it's uh it's late there, <laughs> so I appreciate it so much. Uh, I've I've wanted to do something like this for a long time. This is the beginning for me for my podcast and the trajectory of my podcast. This is like the next level up. Uh, it's my my listeners have just been listening to me just ramble on for two years now, and and uh, this is having a video quality, bringing other people in with some other perspectives and angles on this thing. I think has provided a lot of value for my for my listeners specifically, and hopefully it's been good for your following as well. Yeah, and it's it's always neat to be able to uh, it's always neat to be able to uh, suss out ideas and kind of explore topics with people with a slightly different thought process or knowledge base from yourself or the same knowledge base and to kind of arrive at some conclusions or different conclusions or whatever it is. You bet. I think, I think that's you kind bet. of my, my parting thought that I was having back when you asked us, what, what have we not covered? I think my parting thought based on that is going to be learn about kilts, learn about clan history, learn about social history, learn about uh, art, learn about music, because, you know, it's like a lot of classes in university, what you're going to get at the end is a, is a gestalt understanding that's going to raise your spirit. There's a Celtic spirit. There's a Gallic spirit behind all this stuff. And you're going to understand that the more of these different things you sample, you know, you'll go, you'll like more topics, some topics better than others. But the trick is to sample all of it. So you really feel like you're getting that growth, that, that, that spirit out of it. And I think that's what we're trying to hear. Yeah. Yep. I think mentioning the spirit's important part of this. There, there is a feel to this for sure. And I mm -hmm. think it resonates with something down deep inside people, your ancestry, your heritage, your, there is something to DNA when it comes to this. It's, I know there's a lot of other factors that play into how we turn out as people, but there is something in DNA and there's something there's some, there's, there is a spirit that goes along with this whole topic. That's fascinating and interesting and rich. And I think it provides our lives richness as we get into it and as we mature in our understanding of it. So thank you for contributing to that today. Absolutely. Yeah. Likewise. Slanchava. Slanchava. <laughs> water. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, that's what we've got today for Scottish clans. Thank you, Rocky and Eric for jumping on with us and, and helping us understand this whole thing a little bit better and, and providing some resources and some things for people to go follow to, to dive into it a little deeper. I think people are going to be well rewarded for their, for their participation with us today and for what you've brought to the, to the table. So. Thank you. Thanks for having so us. Thank you. thank you very much. You bet. Until next time, Marshall Lave and Drasta.